Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in to the Ken Wyman Show on BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hello, hello, Ken Wyman with you. It's the Ken Wyman Show, Episode 2, Blog Talk Radio, part of Baltimore Sports and Life, actually. Baltimore Sports and Life, part of Blog Talk Radio. And we got a lot going on today. We'll talk about the Orioles, your first place, Baltimore Orioles, sit at 20 and 12 as we speak, as we uh, record this podcast, and uh, get into some Ravens talk. We'll actually also talk about those choking dogs known as the Washington Capitals at some point during the show. But we start with the Orioles, 20 and 12, just took teams in Minnesota, uh, which, which brings – I'm thinking about this the other night. So Minnesota used to play in the Metrodome forever. It was a dump of the stadium, but you didn't have to worry about the weather when you were in Minnesota. It, it, now they're at Target Field, which my understanding is a beautiful facility. But April, May, September, October have to be disastrous there. And it just seems to me a little odd that they wouldn't have a dome stadium or a retractable roof or something in Minnesota for when they play in April, May, or September, October. If they expect to be in the playoffs one day, can you imagine? And I guess it's cold everywhere. When the Orioles were in the playoffs a couple of years ago, the weather wasn't fantastic. I remember playing Kansas City. I think it was Kansas City in, in just a horrible uh, – it was just overcast and kind of drizzly the whole game. Just not. It's not exactly the boys of summer once you get to the postseason. Anyway, let's talk about the Orioles themselves. And the Orioles sit at 20-12. and 12. They took two in Minnesota. Uh, they're in first place, basically a dead heat with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are 21-13. and 13. The Orioles are 20-12. and 12. They're the only two teams in the division that are over 500. Toronto sits at 18-18. and 18. Tampa Bay at 15-17. And, and the Yankees, who have been struggling – uh, to say the least, uh, they are 13 and 19. Uh, the Orioles getting it done with pitching better than you expected. Uh, Tyler Wilson went seven yesterday. Uh, the, Mike Wright's been decent. Abolo Jimenez, when he's good, has been really good. Went eight in his last start. Uh, Kevin Gossman, even though he doesn't have a win to show for it, I think has pitched very well. Uh, Kevin Gossman is starting to show us signs of a guy who I think can be a top-of-the-rotation starter. Now, a month does not make a career. And that's why I try to temper people's enthusiasm on Joey Rickard because two months from now he could be gone. And there's a difference between guys that flash and guys that have long major league careers and they need to be able to adjust and then adjust to the adjustments because baseball, and I talk about this all the time, sort of has this chess match quality to it. And eventually what's going to happen, and speaking of Rickard, is that teams will have a book on him. And they'll make an the pitchers will make adjustments because they they have advanced scouting and they they end up looking at bats and looking at hitters and they change the way that they've been pitched to and so what happens is you will have pitchers change up the way they approach the batter because they see tendencies and what Joey Rickard's going to have to do is adjust to that adjustment and I think he's gone he went through a little bit of a slump and now he's recovered a bit so to his credit. I think that uh, he has gotten better uh, and is showing signs, at least, of a guy who will be uh, able to stick in the major leagues. 
we'll talk more about Rickard, but I want to get back to Gossman. And Gossman, uh, I think, what struck eight out eight or nine in his last outing, and showed that he's developed. I think a third pitch. Uh, you want to call it a sort of a slurve or something. It, it's it, but it's it's he's only going to use it about ten percent of the time, I would think. But it's been successful for him. And what's key is his other pitches, especially his fastball, has a lot of movement. He throws it hard, but it moves. A straight fastball. I remember talking to a former Oriole about Ken Dixon, who pitched for the Orioles in the 80s. And Ken Dixon could throw really hard, but the issue with Ken Dixon was everything was straight. Everything he threw was straight. So I don't care how hard you throw. You could throw 100 miles an hour. Uh, Major League hitters are going to eventually hit that if it doesn't move. And that's what happened with a guy like Ken Dixon as one example but uh, I, I look at Gosman and I see a guy that looks like he's starting to fulfill his potential Chris Tillman has been good uh, good Chris Tillman one of the things I was talking about on my uh, radio show the other night on 1057 the fan was are they going to pay Chris Tillman and my guess would be no because the Orioles don't believe in giving long-term big money to pitching because they feel like uh that pitchers won't hold up over the length of that contract. So they need to develop young pitchers, which they're also bad at, but that's a topic for another day. But uh, if, if I were to guess, I would think Chris Tillman's in his last year in Baltimore because he's just not going to, uh, he's, he's not going to uh, get the big money here. Just like uh, Wei Yin Shen didn't get the big money here. Just like you don't see guys like, Jordan Zimmerman or Max Scherzer, who had 20 strikeouts last night, or David Price, or name any pitcher that gets big market money on the open market. Those guys are not coming to Baltimore because the Orioles are, aren't in uh, the business of giving big money contracts to pitchers. Now, though, they showed this offseason that they're willing to give big money long-term deals to a hitter. Uh, Chris Davis got, what, $167 million, which which leads to my question, what does Manny Machado get when his contract's up after 2018? And would it be wise of the Orioles to look into paying him now? My my response is yes, and he's going to get a lot of money. Uh, I would think it's going to be somewhere close to uh, $275 million at, at the minimum. But uh, I think the Orioles uh, I, this offseason would be wise to pursue a contract extension with Manny Machado. Now, I don't know if Manny Machado wants to stay. Uh, that's going to be something we'll find out in the future. But um, I, I would I think that the Orioles would be very wise to uh, to to bri- to talk to him, excuse me, about a long term deal. And it might cost him three hundred million dollars. Let's uh, bring in our first guest of the show. Uh, you're listening to Ken Wyman show, uh, part of uh, Baltimore sports and life on blog talk radio. Matthew Corey covers major league baseball for vice baseball perspective, Boston and fan graphs. And he joins us now. And uh, Matthew, are you there? I'm here. Ah, good. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's start with the Orioles. I'm just curious. Um, your thoughts on the Orioles entering the season and have they surprised you so far this season? Uh, they have surprised me a little bit this year. Um, I, I didn't see them as the, the top team in the division. Uh, I think that's, that's safe to say. Uh, but, you know, they've been getting, uh, they've been, they've been, they've been hitting the ball really well. They've been, they've been getting a lot of offensive, uh, you know, support from, uh, you know, uh, Machado and, and Trumbo and, 
uh, on down the line. And, you know, the bullpen has been fantastic. I, I think I, I thought that the, uh, you know, that the, the starters wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be up to snuff. Um, and, they, you know, they certainly haven't been great, but uh, they've been better than, than I thought they'd be. Um, and I think that's been, that's been the big difference. So, you know, we're a month and a half into the season. Uh, if, if they continue to be adequate, then, you know, the, the, uh, the offense and the defense and uh, the bullpen should be enough to carry them to contention in, in, in some level. You mentioned Mark Trumbo, and Mark Trumbo's had a reputation of being a power hitter, but at least through, the, as you said, the first month and a half of the season, he's Nelson Cruz 2.0 for the Orioles. I didn't expect him to be this good. No, no, I didn't either. I mean, we've got some, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many thousands of plate appearances, uh, you know, of his uh, his career that, that say he's not this good. Um, so, you know, it, that's not to say he's not a good hitter. Uh, I, I think he is a good hitter. I think he's an above average hitter, um, but uh, you know his his defense drags that down to some extent. You know his base running drags that down to some extent. Um, so uh, now you know if he's going to continue to slug over 600, then you can say, well, it doesn't matter what his defense is. It doesn't matter how good a base runner he is. Um, but you know we've we uh, like I said we have you know several thousand whatever it is uh, plate appearances that that say he's not this good. So. Uh, my guess is, is you know, that this is, um, you know, a, a month and a half blip. Um, but then again, a month and a half is an awful long time. Um, so I, I, I would expect him to settle down into more of a career norm. And, you know, when the, uh, you know, when the stats are all totaled up at the end of the year, he's going to look pretty good because of this first month and a half start. But I'd expect that that would happen. Talking to Matthew Corey, covers Major League Baseball for Vice, Baseball Perspective Boston, also Fangraphs. Uh, one more Oriole question before we move on. That 2018 mm-hmm. free, uh, free agent year looks like it, it could be a $4 billion spending spree in baseball with names like Machado and Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw can opt out, Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, first of all, when you, in light of what Steven Strasburg just got, which uh, I think is obscene for a guy who has potential but has never shown it, what what do you think the Orioles would be looking at as far as Manny Machado, and would it be wise to start talking to him as soon as possible about an extension? Uh, well, yeah. As far as Machado goes, I, I would I would sign him yesterday. Um, <laughs> now that's a uh, it, you need two to tango, uh, as the saying goes. So you know he's got to want to stay, uh, and they've got to offer him uh, you know whatever he considers a uh, you know a fair deal. Um, but uh, I, I, yeah, he's he's one of the one of the best young players in the game. There's there's no question, you know, about that. If you're gonna, if you're going to start a team at this point, uh, he's you know one of the five players that you're that you're talking about uh, as as a you know as as a guy you want to to be the first the first player on a new franchise. Um, I would disagree with you about Strasburg. Uh, you know, he did have the, the Tommy John surgery. Um, and he's not exactly been what you'd call a, a workhorse over the, the years. Um, but when he's pitched, he's been excellent. He's in the conversation for um, AL, AL Cy Young uh, this year. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's, there's obviously a downside with anybody that you give that kind of money to. Um, but they, they managed to get, I think, a, a, a pretty, pretty good deal, the Nationals I'm, I'm talking of, um, uh, with that, with that deal for uh, with Strasburg, they're going to have him for for seven more years, and and for um, you know, I, I think what is going to end up looking like a below market deal by the time it's done. 
What are we looking at for Machado? $275 million, $300 million? The talk with Bryce Harper is he might get half a billion dollars if he waits till 2018. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I mean, you, you reach a point where things just get. I guess the better question, Matthew, is when do we get to a ceiling on this? Well, I mean, as long as the you know as long as the cable uh, you know deals continue to to roll money into baseball, um, there's there doesn't seem to be one. Um, but you know, my guess is that the, you know the finances will change at some point. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened in the next uh, 10 years or so. Um, but, uh, you know, baseball is, is setting itself up uh, for a more online existence with, you know, MLB TV and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. So um, I don't know. I don't know when the money uh, – I, I don't know if the money ever turns off. I, I think <laughs> it, it definitely may slow down. But, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a premier player in, in, in Machado who is, you know, so young – um, and so, so incredibly good. Uh, he's, he's the kind of guy that you, you don't mind spending, uh, you know, a, a little more uh, of your payroll on. Um, I mean, if you end up spending whatever it is, 30% of your payroll on him instead of 25%, um, ultimately, as long as Manny Machado is putting on an Oriole uniform uh, at, you know, for, for that game that day, then that's, that's really all that matters. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think the Orioles are, are – Hurting for money, I, I think, as, as long as, uh, you know, if they're able to get him signed, they should do it. Let's uh, move on to the Boston Red Sox. And uh, I, was, I see that Jackie Bradley Jr. has been on fire lately. And I I remember when he first came up, I, I love the guy, but he didn't seem to be able to hit Major League pitching, at least not consistently. What what adjustments has he made? What have you noticed, if anything, that, that uh, has led to this uh, hitting streak or this this different hitter from Jackie Bradley Jr.? Uh, well, I wrote a piece at Fangraphs about this last year. He changed his uh, his stance and his his, uh, uh, his basically the the lead into to the pitch. So he was he was taking a a huge uh, stride uh, into into the pitch, and I think he was having trouble getting his front leg down before the pitch got there. And he was late on a lot of pitches. He would miss uh, miss fastballs. So he revamped that, and and you'll see that. Now he, he takes a much smaller step and he is, he's, he's able to, to be there when the ball gets there. So that's, that's one thing. Um, there's a, also an approach difference. Um, he's able to, to hit the ball the other way, uh, certainly more than he has in the past. Um, so I think that's just, uh, you know, a part, part of the maturation of, of a good hitter. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of funny to say, cause he was sure. so bad for, for so long that, and and honestly, I think the Red Sox would have traded him, uh, you know, at a couple different points along the way, uh, and for for not all that much. Um, but uh, you know, I guess fortunately for them, they didn't. Um, and and he's he's shown himself now. He's he's a bit of a streaky hitter. I think we can see that. I mean, he, last year he had that sort of three week run where he was, uh, you know, Ted Williams and Babe Ruth together. Uh, but uh, then at the end of the season, he fell off a, a good bit again, and he sort of went back to being, you know, 200 with a 230 on base percentage, Jackie Bradley. Um, <laughs> so it, it's it's gratifying, I, I think, to, to see that, you know, he's come out, uh, you know, at the start of the season so well. Because I think, honestly, at least from an anal, uh, analytic standpoint, he, he could have, you know, could have gone either way, really. <laughs> 
Um, so the fact that he's hitting so well is, is, is impressive. Um, I, I don't think he's this good a hitter going forward. Uh, and that probably doesn't need to be said, but I just said it anyway. Um, but, you know, if he's an, an average hitter or, or even slightly above, you know, with his defense, um, that's, that's a keeper, and, and the Red Sox are, are going to be much better for it. Yeah, it's interesting that the Red Sox, you know, they're a team that spends money. Everybody knows that. And they went out and got David Price this offseason. They acquired Craig Kimbrell. And you've got David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia. But you could argue, talk about three young position players and Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley. It's tough to argue that there are a lot of teams out there that can, can boast that kind of young talent. Yeah, it's really true. They, they've, uh, and they've kind of stuck it out with these guys, too. Um, you know, Betts, Betts has struggled uh, intermittently since, since coming up. Uh, Bogart's sort of famously after the, the 2013, um, you know, World Series, he, his 2014 was, was pretty bad, and, and the Red Sox, you know, continue to, th- continue to play him, continue to throw him out there. Um, and, uh, you know, you didn't even mention Blake Swihart, and then there's, mm-hmm. there's obviously, uh, you know, some other guys in the system who are, who are very promising a, a, a little further down. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not uh, not a bad time to be a Red Sox fan considering where they are in the standings and, um, you know, the, the age of some of their good players and then what the farm system looks like. It's, it's kind of promising. Talking to about Matthew Corey, covers Major League Baseball for Vice, uh, Baseball Perspective and Fangraphs. Uh, the Chicago Cubs are sitting at 25-8 and eight at the moment, best record in baseball, and they seem to have everything, and they've been able to not – it's not even noticed that they lost Kyle Schwerber for the year – uh, is this the year finally that Cub fans can uh, can exhale? They see, they, like I said, they have the best manager in baseball. They seem to have the best pitcher in baseball. Their lineup's loaded. Is it just the curse that's going to stop them at this point? <laughs> I think if anything stops them, it's going to be the small sample size of the playoffs. Um, or you know, it, you never like to bring this up, but you know, horrible injury. I mean, if if they have, you know, if they have to. Like that day the Angels just went through, where they where they basically lost their their starting shortstop and two of their starting uh, you know their best starting pitchers. Um, that you know the, the Angels are not the only team that uh, you know that the fates can frown upon uh, from time to time. So uh, no no team has the depth to really lose three players of that magnitude. Um, but uh, but yeah, they look really really good, um, and I think that. Uh, you know, they, they could, they could be better. I mean, Dexter Fowler is, is not this good, um, but mm-hmm. uh, Jason Hayward is not this bad. Um, so I, you know, you can, you can look down the, the line and sort of, sort of see that this is a really, a really strong team up and down. Um, they're good defensively. They're good, you know, st- starting pitching. They're, they're good, uh, good hitters. They're good on the base paths. I mean, they don't really do anything wrong. So, the the thing about baseball, of course, is that even the best team can lose to the worst team at any given time. Um, and, you know, in a five or seven game series that that can easily happen and throw things off. So, um, but, you know, you have to like the, the Cubs chances. They're certainly the favorite to, to win the World Series right now and, um, you know, going forward this year. In the last uh, couple minutes, Matthew, let's play real or fraud with some teams. As you mentioned, small sample size. Chicago White Sox, are they for real or fraud, and why? I think they're for real. I, I think they can definitely win the win the division. I, I'm not sure that they're, uh, you know, a 657, uh, you know, winning percentage team. Um, but 
um, you know, they, they have, they have some really good, really good players on that team. And, and, you know, if they can add to add at the deadline, they, they could easily be the team that comes out of the American league. I, I, I think they're for real. Seattle Mariners, 21 and 13, as we speak, real or fraud. I don't love their starting pitching. Um, but there's nobody in that division who's really grabbing the bull by the horns either. So um, I, I, I don't think they're quite this good, but I, I would go somewhere in between real or fraud, I guess, <laughs> if I can create my own category there. One of the things I, I noticed, Matthew, when I was looking at the standings, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies are 19 and 15. Number one, how the hell did that happen in real or fraud? I think it's a little fraudulent. I mean, they've been outscored by 30 runs. Um, they're, they've been in 15 one-run games, and they're 12-3 and three in those. Um, that said, they, they've, they have some legitimate players on that team, um, and they had some early season uh, sort of blowouts that didn't go against them, against them that did go against them, and, and that's, uh, that's partly you know, why their uh, you know, run scored and runs allowed is so uh, slanted in that one direction. Um, but they seem to have uh, sort of surprisingly a, a starting pitching staff uh, and um, you know, they, they've got a, they've got themselves a, a nice young uh, reliever in uh, nearest. And so, you know, the, the, uh, the rebuild is off to a strong start, I guess you'd say. Uh, I, I wouldn't consider them a playoff uh, team, um, but uh, but I, I think uh, there's certainly reason for optimism in Philadelphia. And, and if nothing else, um, you know, on a nice spring or summer day, you can get on down to the game and, and not feel horrible about yourself. <laughs> and and finally, the Baltimore Orioles, 20 and 12 in a virtual tie for first place with the Red Sox, real or fraud? I would put them in kind of the Mariners category there. I I don't expect them to win this division. Um, I, I'm still not a believer in their starting pitching. Um, so I guess that's, that's what I would say. Uh, but the rest of that team is, is pretty strong. Um, so I, you know, if, if Mark Trumbo continues to hit, hit really well and, and, you know, the, the rotation holds together, I, you know, they could certainly challenge for the, at, at the top of the division and, and prove me wrong. That, that would not be uh, out of the realm of possibility. And Matthew, before I let you run, what the heck's wrong with the NL West? There's not a team over 500 in it right now. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Uh, I I think a lot of people thought the Dodgers were were just going to run away with things. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think it's just probably a, uh, you know, a a small sample size sort of thing where, um, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants will, will get going uh, at some point you'd have to think. (laughs) Um, Arizona is, I mean, in a way this is really good for Arizona. They're, they're, I, I don't think a very good team. Um, you know, the Shelby Miller trade looks more like a disaster now than it did before, which is hard to say. Uh, you know, it was kind of amazing to say. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're hanging in because L.A. and San Francisco are kind of just sitting around 500, um, you know, maybe, maybe things can start to break their way. Who knows? Matthew Corey covers Major League Baseball for Vice, Baseball Perspective, and Fangraphs. Great stuff, Matthew. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, it's Ken Wyman Show. It's uh, part of Baltimore Sports and Life here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the NHL playoffs. And we're not going to talk a lot of NHL playoffs on this program, but there, there's something that's been on my mind, and uh, we'll get into that coming up next. 
The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or BARKS for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City, and their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them. And they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax-deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at BaltimoreAnimalShelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org. SPEAK, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. SPEAK is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org. Welcome in to the Ken Wyman Show on BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk to Jason Hershorn, who covers the NFL for Sports on Earth, uh, also does work for Baltimore Sports and Life, and we'll talk some Ravens and some NFL with him. But uh, I, I want to get into the, the Capitals really quickly, and I know there are a lot of Capitals fans in the Baltimore area. I'm one of them. I grew up uh, – I'm one of those people, it's always astounding to me, and I see it on social media sometimes, I can't root for those D.C. teams. Well, there's no hockey team in Baltimore. And there never will be a hockey team in Baltimore. And there's no NBA team in Baltimore. There never will be an NBA team in Baltimore. So if you want to root for those two sports, there are teams right up the road. And I'm not going to begrudge you for rooting for those teams. And, oh, by the way, we can watch them on our televisions because those the Comcast Sports Center, whatever it used to, whatever it used to be, that uh, had the games before, uh, before Comcast Sportsnet took over, uh, they, they're on our cable. And so I can watch the games, and I enjoy watching the games. And I, I like the Wizards. I, I grew up a Sixers fan, with him, and they're fantastic. But I've always been a Capitals fan. And I have lived through all the heartache. I uh, lived through them losing a four-overtime game to the Islanders as a kid. I lived losses to the Flyers and the Penguins and, God, the Islanders I mentioned. And uh, you go to the Bruins and the Canadians and losing, to the, losing the Stanley Cup final. Uh, to uh, to uh, the Detroit Red Wings, the one year they made it with Olaf Kolzig. And since Alexander Ovechkin has become a capital, he's been arguably the best player in hockey. I think he's a four-time MVP winner, when he's probably going to be a, uh, win a fifth MVP this year. He's never been past the second round of the playoffs. That's a problem. 
I don't know how that's possible at this point. How you can be a guy who's this good, and granted, it's a team sport, and I get all that, but how is it that this team can't get over the hump ever? Ever. So my, my question becomes, if you're, if you're the, uh, if you are the Washington Capitals, what do you do this offseason? Obviously, you had the best team in hockey, but that's not the first time you've had the best team in hockey. You had the best team in hockey a few years ago. You won the President's Trophy and couldn't get out of the second round of the playoffs. So uh, what do you do this offseason? You know, is it on the table to trade Alex Ovechkin? And I'm not saying that's the right thing. But when what you're doing currently isn't working, I think you have to look and say, well, what do we do differently? What is it that we can do uh, to change things up and possibly uh, get over the hump? Because right now, they are one of the most disappointing franchises in sports. You know, they are the Cincinnati Bengals or the uh, Seattle Mariners or the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills went to four Super Bowls. But they are, they are a team that, that quite frankly, they, you, you just wait for the disappointment to come. I know I do. You know, I was watching the games with friends. And, and the, the one thing I'll give them credit for the other night, they're down 3 nothing quickly. And they came back and tied the game and sent it to overtime. And, but the worst part about that is it gives you hope, right? That for them to come back in that game was pretty damn incredible. But now you're sitting there going, okay, we have hope. But no, they're the Capitals. They make you forget who they are, don't they? They make you forget. And what happens is they get to the overtime, and and then of course uh, you you saw what you you know what happened in overtime. Uh, it's it's pretty clear that <laughs> the Penguins scored and the game series is over, and they're they're not playing golf. Alexander Ovechkin already went to go play for the Russian team in some world tournament, which I don't care about. But it's done just like that. And I will tell you, I don't care what team it is. If you're a fan of a team and they continuously frustrate you, I'm not telling you to jump off the bandwagon because you don't do that. But there's something that has to be done at some point. They, they either have to add better players. And, and, and the, interesting thing part, the interesting part is, and I'm not, I don't want to go down a hockey rabbit hole, but they look like they had done those things this offseason. They went out and got guys like uh, Justin Williams and TJ Oshie and uh, they brought in Richards during the season, guys that had been there before, and they had the best goalie. <laughs> yeah, Holfie's going to win the Vesna Trophy. As I mentioned, Ovechkin's going to win the, uh, the, the MVP. Uh, Barry Trotz is a better coach than Bruce Boudreau. So uh, if you're asking me what to do, I, I wish I had that answer. But whatever they do, at least currently, it's not working. And I sit back and I go, well, they're going to break my heart. I know they're going to break my heart. I just uh, I want to I I just want to see it coming, I guess. But uh the 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 Washington Capitals are a franchise that is the only thing that you know for sure at this point is they're going to disappoint. Unfortunately, that's the reality with the Caps. And now I I will tell you the truth, and I like hockey, but it's down on the depth chart as far as 
the sports I enjoy, like, like, and I, I enjoy the NHL, but I like professional football more. I like college football more. I like professional basketball more. I like college basketball more. I like baseball more. So I don't watch a lot. Of, I keep, I pay attention, but I don't watch a lot of it. And then the playoffs come and the capture in the playoffs, it jumps up on the priority board. But, uh, I just, now that they're done, like I saw that, that, St. Louis advanced, but I really didn't pay attention. There was basketball playoff games on to watch. Let's talk some football now. Jason Hershorn covers the NFL for Sports on Earth, also part of uh, the group we have here at Baltimore Sports and Life, and he joins us now. And, uh, Jason, thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, anytime, Ken. Let's start with the Ravens draft. And uh, I know that a lot of the the experts, quote-unquote experts, love this draft. How do you feel about it? Well, if you're just looking at the class and ignoring the context of how it came together, it seems like it does answer a lot of short- and long-term needs. Ronnie Stanley is the first pick. Both gives them an option on the offensive line this year, a unit that lost one of their better offensive linemen in a to free agency. It also gives them a potential franchise left tackle for the future because both the owner and the head coach have had differing opinions on Eugene Monroe, the current line side protector. So a pick like that does make a lot of sense. You look further down, they bring in someone like uh, Boise State's, uh, I'm going to butcher the first name, but Correa, the outside linebacker. He's someone who could actually play a number of different spots in that defense, and we've seen them use players like that before. You know, Pernell McPhee a couple of years ago was a guy who could play at outside linebacker and move into the five-tech position. This is a different kind of versatility. He's probably a guy who's going to play outside linebacker, maybe even move in inside in certain situations, but He's a very versatile piece. So guys like that really make sense for the Ravens in 2016 and in 2017 and beyond. The flip side is that they could have had Jalen Ramsey, and the, who allegedly was at the top of their board, but they, wouldn't, they had to have, would have had to have given up a third-round pick. Now, it brings me back to a few years ago when the Ravens had the option to get Des Bryant, New England wanted to trade their pick. They were willing to trade down. They wanted a third-round pick from the Ravens. The Ravens wouldn't give it up. And the Cowboys jumped them, took Des Bryant. Their third-round pick that year turned into Ja Reed, who we all know was fantastic here with the Ravens. Uh, I just uh, Bronson Kafusi better be a heck of a player because he's the reason why – well, he's, he's the, the pick they wouldn't trade that would have gotten them Jalen Ramsey. Well, a third-round pick to move up just a couple of spots depending on the situation, doesn't always make sense. And if you look at how the draft was unfolding, there was a lot of value that was likely to be there at six, the pick that they had in the first round. Now, one of the other players that they passed up on, maybe someone who they should have considered more seriously, especially as it came down to their selection, was old Mrs. Laramie Tunzel. They allegedly took him off their board because of the, the bong video that made an appearance on draft day. If that's actually why they took him off the board, I think that that's a mistake. Not because they, they, they took Stanley over him necessarily, because Stanley could end up being a better player, but for a team that's had issues with how to evaluate character, I think it speaks to a problem with their process. But look, if Ramsey turns out to be a Hall of Fame player and Stanley doesn't, and Bronson Calculus turns out to be just the guy, yeah, that criticism is going to be out there. But if they're able to get quality play out of one or both players and Jim Ramsey is even just a good player, you can defend the move in retrospect. The other thing that I think a lot of fans are, are angry about, and you look at Jacksonville's draft, they got Jalen Ramsey in the first round, they got Miles Jack in the second round. 
The Ravens could have had Miles Jack, but they traded down. It's obvious they didn't like his medicals. I will tell you, if Miles Jack is healthy even for four years, that guy could be a stud. Uh, and uh, Correa looks like a guy with a high motor, but he's he, to me, he's not as good as a healthy Miles Jack. Well, you have to look at the situation for the respective GMs involved. Ozzie Newsom, the GM for the Ravens, has all sorts of job security. He's been there for decades. So for him, it makes sense to maybe take a longer outlook. You know, Miles Jack is going to be a field tilting player for three, four years, but then fall off the map, especially when you have to pay him more money to extend him. I understand why they might feel that that's not worth the sixth overall pick, or maybe not even their second round pick later on because he was available at that point before they traded out. Whereas for a team like the Jaguars, who they could end up getting their entire front office and coaching staff fired if the season doesn't go well. So I understand why you would take the risk in their position. So I think that really speaks to how those teams are situated currently. Because if Nagy Newsom felt like he needed to win this year or his, you know, his job could be gone, then, yeah, maybe Miles Jack is actually the pick at six. You know, it's, it's all uh, contextual. We're talking to Jason Hershorn, uh, covers the NFL for Sports on Earth, also part of the, the, the fine staff at Baltimore Sports and Life. And, and this fourth round is getting rave reviews. And I heard Todd McShay say it's the greatest round ever any team's ever had. Realistically, though, they're fourth-round picks. Uh, based on what you've looked at, are these guys that you think can make an impact? I have to apologize. You kind of cut in, so I didn't hear the entire question. Uh, just your thoughts, I guess, on the fourth round the Ravens had. People are raving about what the Ravens did in this fourth round and just the, the, the potential impact of these players. Well, you have a lot of guys that have projectable physical traits, which means that your coaching staff is going to have to develop a lot of these players, and they're going to miss on some. It's just the nature of having all of these picks. But by having so many good athletes in that round, you're more likely to end up with not just players who can make your roster, the players who can actually affect outcomes of games. So let's just look at the receiver they picked out of Cincinnati, Chris Moore, one of the faster, more able deep threats, certainly after the first couple of rounds. He might not impact the team a lot in 2016, but with time, developing at the NFL, learning how to do things other than just take the top off the defense, they may end up with a receiver who's starting for them for the next five, maybe even ten years, and things go really, really well. But if he doesn't work out, you didn't invest a lot in him. So these are really smart risks. And this is where the best teams in the NFL tend to make their move. You know, we look at the Seattle Seahawks, who have built through the draft better than almost anybody in the NFL over the last half decade or so. Their big picks, for the most part, have come on the third day of the draft, with a lot of them coming in the fourth round. The Ravens are using a very similar tactic here. I think in the end they're going to end up with some pretty good players. Jason, uh, every, they, they, the, the draft, the third day of the draft, one of the highlights was the Ravens drafting Keenan Reynolds, and you hope he turns into an Antoine Randall-L or, a, uh, I apologize, I'm mentioning Steelers, a Heinz Ward, uh, guys that have converted, uh, Julian Edelman. Um, I, I heard he looked great the East-West practice, and then he had an injury so he couldn't play. What are your expectations for Keenan Reynolds? My expectations aren't particularly high simply because as great of a career as he had in name, as a quarterback and, you know, honestly, as a runner, it is a lot of transition to the NFL as a receiver, and he has all of these off-the-field commitments as it relates to his, you know, his, his military service. It, it's a lot for one person to handle, even though he's, by all accounts, an extraordinary young man. But if you, if you think that you have the right coaching depth to develop receivers, and we just talked about that with Chris Moore, 
then maybe in a couple of years you might develop a slot receiver because he's actually not the best athlete. I think, I think that gets portrayed incorrectly. He's a solid athlete for the position and something that in the slot can make a big impact, especially if he knows and learns how to run routes and create separation. I think it's a big risk considering that it was still a pick where there were other players that might have provided a more significant impact sooner, but they could end up with a good receiver, and it's definitely a great story. Talking to Jason Hershorn covers the NFL for Sports on Earth, also at Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, the, when you looked at the draft overall, was there a team that came out of it that you said, wow, that team had a great draft? Well, the Jaguars are the ones that everybody's talking about. But I think you can look at some other teams, especially in the NFC North. Several had very, very good drafts. Uh, the Chicago Bears, I wasn't actually crazy about their first pick, or rather the move to trade up for Leonard Floyd. But really, the rest of the draft, they, they got a lot of good players. They got Cody Whitehair should be able to start for them immediately. The offensive line has been a problem for them for seemingly forever. But they got a lot of impact, and they didn't have to use a lot of resources to get the players that they, they ended up acquiring. So when you look at it from that perspective, like a process perspective, I think they did very well. I thought the Packers did the same thing. They were able to get a player that's going to start for them immediately in Kenny Clark, the nose tackle out of UCLA. They lost B.J. Raji this offseason. Plug this guy right in. I don't think he's going to provide the same impact from day one, but you get, got yourself an athletic nose tackle for the future. They were able to move up in the second round and acquire maybe the most athletic offensive lineman in the entire draft in Jason Spriggs, and that provides them protection for next offseason when three of their five starting offensive linemen hit free agency. I thought that was very smart. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that came away, at least in terms of the process, looking very good. Who did you look at and you went, that team really blew it? Was there, a, was there a team that you thought had a bad draft? The Cowboys. I don't even think to think twice about it. And it's not that the players that they acquired are necessarily bad. It's, again, we're judging process more than players right now because to a degree we don't know. We have expectations for these players. Sometimes they don't work out, whether that's because the player just isn't as good as we think or because of injury or because of a bad situation. But you take someone like Ezekiel Elliott. For the most part, we agree that he was the best running back in this class and one of the better running backs to come out of college football in many years. But that is not the team that needs to invest the fourth overall pick in a running back. They have the best, bar none, run-blocking offensive line, and that's why you don't have to invest a high pick in a running back. You know, they had Darren McFadden, who is not by anyone's definition a quality running back, but still rushed for over 1,000 yards and averaged almost five yards per carry because of how good that offensive line is. So it just seemed like a poor use of resources to then take the fourth overall pick, a selection that that team rarely gets, and then put it in a position where they may not able, may not be able to extract the most value from it. And then the second round, they turned around and drafted Jalen Smith, who at one point was considered amongst the best players in the entire draft class, but has a very serious knee injury and perhaps more significantly, a nerve issue that could keep him from playing all of 2016 and maybe even some of 2017. And those are your first two picks. So when you come away getting maybe not a lot of on-field impact or at least difference-making for your team, I don't think you had a very good draft, and they should have done better. Don't you think it's interesting the Cowboys took Jalen Smith, their team doctor did the surgery. So it it makes me think maybe he knows something that nobody else knows. I mean, that's certainly possible, but at the same time, they're not going to get anything from him in 2016. Even if the surgery was the best version of that surgery that's ever been performed, and he comes back 100%, that's one of the four years you get of that cheap rookie contract gone. Your best chance as a team is to get as many good players on a rookie contract as possible, and then this way you can have the money to retain your superstar players. They don't get anything from Jalen Smith this season, no matter how it plays out. And if that injury does, in fact, end up hindering him long-term, 
They just spent a high pick, a very high pick, almost a first-round pick, on a guy who didn't contribute the first year and may not contribute enough years two through four. Talking to Jason Hersher and covers the NFL for Sports on Earth. You can also find his work at Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, it's Ken Wyman's show here on Baltimore Sports and Life Blog Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk about some general NFL stuff. Uh, the Raiders going to Las Vegas. Can you see it happening? For a long time, I didn't at all. I thought it was simply a move that Mark Davis, the son of Al Davis, was making for leverage that he could either negotiate with the city of Oakland, Los Angeles, or just one of the other California cities that he would consider moving to. Now that Jerry Jones is behind this idea, I think all of us have to consider it differently. I mean, Jerry Jones was the real force behind getting the Rams to Los Angeles because, if you remember, the committee that was going to make a recommendation decided that they thought the best option for the league was the Carson Project that did not involve the Rams. Jerry Jones put his weight behind the Rams, and suddenly there's a team in L.A., and no one else will play there until at least 2017. So, He has a lot of influence on these types of decisions. And if he's saying, yeah, we need Las Vegas, it's a real crown jewel, then I think we have to consider not only is this going to potentially happen, that it might be the most likely outcome at this point. The other team that might end up in L.A. are the Chargers, but it looks like the NFL is committed to getting them a stadium in San Diego. Is that where you think they end up staying? I still don't really know with that. I mean, the city of San Diego does only wants to go so far in terms of investing in a stadium because, for the most part, not just San Diego, most of these cities, these aren't really good deals. Football stadiums do not get used very often. It's only 10 times during the year unless you go to the playoffs, and they're really not used for many non-football activities. So this isn't a great investment from any of these cities, and San Diego knows that. And culturally, the, the Chargers are not the biggest entertainment value in that city, it's Comic-Con. That's where they want to put their money. So I'm not sure that that's going to happen. There's a more concerted effort now than there was at this time last year. That is true. So there is some momentum. At the same time, the Chargers could just be, you know, playing out the clock because they can move to Los Angeles next year. And granted, they will not be the number one team in L.A. That appears like it's going to be the Rams for the foreseeable future. But as we've seen with the Los Angeles Clippers, because that comparison is made so often, you're still, you still have a team that's valued over $2 billion if they're there in the number two. So I don't think the Chargers would be that upset if ultimately that is how it plays it out. What was your favorite moment of the Sam Bradford holdout? Because he's now back and happy in Philadelphia again. Well, I mean, if we're going to take him at his word that he's happy, then probably that. But <laughs> it's simply a situation where you have a quarterback who part of, it's part of it is not his fault. You know, he signed with that team, and that team then spent even more money on a backup for him, and it seemed very likely that he was going to be the starter for all of 2016 and maybe even 2017. And then they go in and trade all of their resources, seemingly, for the number two overall pick in the draft, which they use on Carson Wentz. And it changes everything for you. Because not only are you not guaranteed to be the starter throughout the season, you then get to the point where, okay, how diminished is my value going into next offseason? And that's why I think he tried to make this move. The problem is simply that there was not a taker for him, and the Eagles, anyone who's willing to talk to them, just simply were asking for too much. So they know ultimately they had, they had all the cards. You know, it, the Denver Broncos were only going to go so far for Sam Bradford because realistically, how do you want that headline playing out in your city where you just won the Super Bowl and now suddenly you're trying to recreate the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback room in your hometown. It's not a great selling point. It was never that likely to happen. And now that they have Paxton Lynch, that's gone. There really are no landing spots for him anymore. And he realized that at that point, him and his agent said, okay, I guess we're going to go back to Philadelphia and try to make the best of this not great situation. 
Speaking of quarterbacks with seemingly nowhere else to go, are you surprised that Ryan Fitzpatrick is still a free agent? Doesn't it make sense that him and the Jets get together on a deal? Yeah, his situation in some ways is actually similar to Sam Bradford's. Now, he's not under contract. That's obviously a big difference. But they're in a bilateral monopoly. They really cannot negotiate with anybody else. The team that Fitzpatrick was considering and may have been considering him now have their quarterbacks for 2016. Those options are off the table. So it's pretty much just the Jets or nobody. And I think ultimately they're just going to figure it out because even though Fitzpatrick is asking way too much money for a quarterback of his stature and the Jets are probably offering too little, neither of them want to have a situation where that quarterback is not starting for them week one because they don't want to rush Christian Hackenberg if Fitzpatrick doesn't have that many more years left. And I think he'd rather take you know, the $8, $10 million he might make this season over not playing at all. Final question. Uh, now that we've had free agency in the draft, the Ravens were a team coming into last year that people thought were a Super Bowl contender and were a colossal disappointment. How much better is this team now after everything is done? They are definitely better than last year. And they probably would have been anyway if they were just healthy because that was the big thing that crippled them in 2015. And then they had all this talent in the draft and even in free agency. I mean, Eric Weddle doesn't actually have the cachet he might have, you know, three, four years ago, but he's still one of the better safeties in the league. And that's a position that's been really problematic for Baltimore since Ed Reed left. So I still think this is a flawed team and, you know, they're all flawed teams, but even by that standard, I think the, the Baltimore Ravens still have some significant issues. And I'm not sure that they are a playoff team this year, but they are much closer to being a team that's going to be in that conversation than you would have thought at the end of last season. Jason Hershon covers the NFL for Sports on Earth. You can also find his work in Baltimore Sports and Life. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Anytime. Appreciate it. We'll come back, get into a little bit of the Orioles and uh, some thoughts on uh, what Matthew Corey said earlier in the program uh, about whether or not they're for real or not and my thoughts there. I just, I just have some thoughts on the division and plus a quick movie review. It's the Ken Wyman Show here on part of my Baltimore Sports and Life on Blog Talk Radio. The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or BARKS for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City. And their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them. And they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at BARKS by making a tax-deductible contribution to the BARKS Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at BaltimoreAnimalShelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org. Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, 
speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, Ken Wyman Show, Baltimore Sports and Life, part of Block Talk Radio. Uh, please, uh, I guess you sign up and get a subscription and do what you have to do to listen because we're having fun on here. We'll be with you uh, once a week and uh, give you what uh, is in my brain every week. By the way, quick movie review. If you get a chance, go see Captain America Civil War. It is awesome. If you like those kind of movies, I do. Uh, I highly recommend going to see Captain America. It was fantastic. Uh, The Orioles. So Matthew Corey was on earlier from Fangraphs, and we were talking about teams, whether or not they are for real or real or fraud. And he, his best guess at the Orioles were more of a fraud. And I can see why he'd say that. You, know, you, you don't expect them to have enough pitching. Now, Tyler Wilson, Mike Wright have been pretty good so far. Abaldo, when he's been good, has been very good. Uh, I think Kevin Gossman has been above average. He hasn't gotten a win yet, but that's sort of uh, you're, you're at the mercy of your team. And, I get it. He gave up a two-run homer to Trevor Plouffe the other day, but the Orioles, they only had scored three runs. He did have a quality start, and if he, if, if he gives you a quality start every outing, you feel like you should be in a good, cha- a good situation, a good put yourself in, uh, in a situation to win a baseball game. So I have no problem with Kevin Gossman. Chris Tillman, for the most part, has been good. Uh, and, and the interesting part is they've got nothing out of Ivani Gallardo for the most part. He's, he was obviously hurt. He did not have his regular velocity. Uh, I just want him to be the guy he was last year. And that's the guy he's been for most of his career. Now he's changed. He doesn't have the velocity he used to have, but he became a better pitcher. And he knows how to get people out. And he's a guy that's going to get it, give you double-digit wins and an ERA under four and give you a lot of innings. And this team needs the innings, and they can use the wins and everything else as well. But uh, not having him has been – uh, interesting to me because he was going to be the consistent guy. You know, Baldo, you don't know what you're getting from a Baldo Jimenez from start to start. And Tillman was great two years ago at times and was awful last year. And I don't think Chris Tillman is a legitimate number one starter. I think he's a high two when he's at his best. He's our one, but he's not a one, if that makes sense. I think the guy on the staff that could be that guy that's a number one starter is is uh, is Kevin Gossman. Now, I know it's frustrating for O's fans that they've been longing for a number one starter since Mike Messina and haven't had a 20-game winner since Mike Boddicker in 1984, and they see Jake Arrieta in Chicago doing what he's doing. And my feeling on that is that ship has sailed. And, and I don't think he was ever going to become that guy for a multitude of reasons, whether it be Rick Adair or just maturity issues and finally getting a change of scenery. But Rick Adair is a big part of that. But it, it just wasn't going to happen here. So uh, you, you have to, as, as the uh, girl in the Disney movie says, you have to let it go at some point. And the, that would be my best advice. The Orioles are right now playing good baseball without Jake Arrieta. And Jake Arrieta is doing fine in Chicago, and I wish him well. I, at the time they traded him, I was, I was thrilled because I thought he was awful. And I'm glad he's able to get his career on track, and I hope he has, a, has uh, some great years in Chicago because it wasn't going to happen here. But I think Kevin Gossman can be – I'm not saying he's going to be Jake Arrieta Cy Young Award winner, but I think he can be a top of the rotation caller, uh, starter. And uh, if he becomes that guy, that sort of flips the script on the Orioles because now everybody slots down potentially. 
And all of a sudden, this team is a team that we know can score some runs, that we know has a good bullpen. And now if they get decent starting pitching, if Tillman's the two and uh, Gallardo comes back to be the three and Abaldo's the four and either Mike Wright or Trevor Wilson's the five. And by the way, Trevor Wilson pitched well the other day. Now I'm sitting there watching, and he's getting into trouble in the fifth inning. And I go, here we go again. He can't go five innings. He's, he's sort of a, a spot starter type because he can't go deep into games. The next thing I know, I blink, and he's gotten through seven. So uh, kudos to him on that start. And, yeah, the Twins are awful. By the way, the Twins are 8-25. and 25. There are only two teams in Major League Baseball that have less than 10 wins, the Twins and the Atlanta Braves. Both teams, both teams have eight wins. So that's saying something when you're one of the two wins. And just to give you a little insight into how wrong I get things sometimes, I had the Twins as a wild card coming into the year. <laughs> they played well at the end of last year. They arguably have the best young talent in baseball. I thought, okay, they take the next step. I really like Paul Molitor as their manager, and they're awful. But last year I took – I don't go – last year I took the Marlins in the National League to be a wild card, and they were awful, and they fired their manager, and then they hired their GM to be their manager, and that was just a disaster because the Marlins are a disaster. But I, I think back to the Orioles, I think that this team in a flawed division, and let's face it, the Red Sox right now, they pay Pablo Sandoval $95 million to sit on the disabled list. Good young talent. They've got David Price at the top of the rotation. If Rick Porcello can continue to pitch well, and they paid him a bunch of money, and he was bad last year, then all of a sudden the Red Sox could be good. Uh, the Yankees don't scare me. They're too old and they're too injured. I think that they got all they could. They, they basically soaked all the blood from that stone last year to get to the playoffs, but they're not a very good baseball team. I think Toronto, as I, and as the season began, I thought Toronto was the team to beat. I still think they are, but the Orioles, they have the best manager in the division, in my opinion. Uh, a manager that, that uh, is worth five wins, I think. And uh, I, I think this team is, is going to be uh, in contention uh, for the foreseeable future. But, you know, the good news is we'll be able to talk about this week to week. I'm Ken Wyman. Hope you continue to go into Baltimore Sports and Life.